everyone, and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media by searching Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, and we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also find us uh, via email or send us a message. Actually, send us an email, I think makes the most sense, uh, at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. You can also please like, subscribe, follow, all of those things to keep up with all things Medium Cool. It really helps us out and hey while you're at it why don't you go ahead and leave us a rating review that really helps us out we appreciate you and all that you can do so uh all that said today i have uh our friend sam the movie man watermeyer he's a writer for midwest film journal he's also in the past written for the film yap he is uh just a generally an awesome dude that uh does you know indiana film journalism he's an he's awesome i'm happy to have him on here and uh he's he came on here because we're going to be talking about brandon cronenberg's infinity pool which came out two weeks ago uh but we had our top 10 last week uh, of 2022 so uh it had to wait but today we're going to be covering infinity pool we're also going to talk about the new m night Shyamalan film night uh knock i almost said night knock at the cabin which spoiler alert Hey, it might not be as bad as you think. We're gonna you, you can get you can see what we well, you can see what we think. Okay, all right, just deal with it. Uh, also, uh, hey, brief thoughts on a few movies that I've seen recently, real quick. Uh, I watched uh, two films on Netflix, uh, both of which are new. Uh, I watched You People, which uh, had uh, Jonah Hill and uh, Eddie Murphy and other man. Uh, what a fucking weird movie this one is. Okay, I'm watching it and and like I'm like 30 minutes in or so and I eventually like posted on Facebook uh, just to my friends and stuff, you know, because I was like, the hell am I watching? Because it was one of those movies where I I was kind of I was amused for a lot of the movie, but I'm watching. I'm like, this feels like someone watched a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm and was like, dude, I bet I can make a movie. A movie like this I, I bet I could do it and then like there's just no Larry David in it it's just people being like super awkward and it's just like hard to watch which like Kirby Enthusiasm is too but it's like brilliant so it's like I don't know dude this movie's weird uh, I didn't hate it or anything it's just so average to me like it's a very just meh. like I, I'll never watch it again I'm sure but it wasn't a bad watch if you want to watch something that's uncomfortable and um, you know I did laugh out loud a few times like there is some funny uh, it seems like improvising um, but there's some funny stuff like that but it's just a really heavy-handed message uh, and it's trying to be this kind of um, provocative comedy something I don't know the movie literally just confused me I'm just like who the fuck makes this? It actually did feel like a TV show to me that was edited like a movie. And let me tell you uh, more specifically what I mean. If you watch it, just the way it looks, the um, visual transitions, because there are these weird stylized transitions, uh, and it reminds me of like a fucking 90s TV show or something. Not not literally, but in the 90s, there were a lot of these kind of weird transitions. And I don't know. It's just weird. If you've seen it, I would love to know what you think. You People is a weird movie. Uh, and then I watched a much better movie. Uh, it is a documentary on Netflix called Pamela, a love story. This is about Pamela Anderson. And uh, you would never, uh, well, let me, let me not assume. I would never have guessed that this was an awesome doc, okay? Not because I have anything like for or against Pamela Anderson. I'm, I'm relatively indifferent about her or was. 
And then uh, I watched this doc, and Pamela Anderson has like kept journals her whole life. Um, there is just just copious amounts of there are uh, just uh, uh, inventories and, and archives of footage here. Okay, I mean, just like so much footage because, of course, Pamela Anderson was just like completely in the public eye, but also not only with Tommy Lee, but on her own, there's just tons of home video footage. So you really get to see Pamela from all of these different angles. They have someone voice over her voice. Um, Pamela does give consent to film it at the beginning of, of the movie. She gives consent to read her journals on there. Like, like they're very clear. Like, hey, we want your permission. We want people to know we got it kind of a thing. Uh, but she hands over her journals. And, uh, yeah, they have someone voicing it over. Uh, so you hear, like, her words at the times that they're talking about. Um, there are There's just great home video footage, tons of, of course, news footage and Playboy footage and, uh, you know, footage of Baywatch and Barbed Wire. I mean, just, like, whatever, you know, there's, like, just everything. But, dude, honestly, it's I thought it was really good. It really, really was. Uh, uh, again, not the most brilliant thing. It's not going to be on my top ten at the end of the year or anything. Um, but it was just it was a good watch. I think it's less than two hours, if I'm not mistaken. So that was also a plus. I just sat down, knocked it out, and was happy. I didn't even know she was on Broadway. Anybody else know this? She did like a play on Broadway. She did Chicago. The fuck? Anyways, uh, I thought that was awesome. Check out Pamela, A Love Story. It's on Netflix. You People is also on Netflix if you want to check that out. Um, in my outro, I'm actually going to do something new this time, so stick around, please. I'm going to be telling you what's coming out, what came out this week and what's coming out next week, um, and, you know, we'll just, we'll see how this goes. I think this is good. This will also keep me on my toes, too, I think, with stuff that's coming out. I think this is all going to be good, because for a while I was real good at it, and now I'm not good at it, so I think this is going to help. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for the outro as well, because I'll actually have some content and I won't just be rambling the whole time. Uh, but until then, stand by, because in between this intro and that outro, we're going to have Sam the Movie Man Watermeyer. And up next, we're going to talk about Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool. I am here with Sam, the movie man, Watermeyer. Say hello, Sam. Hi, everybody. Yeah, we got Sam in the house. We're going to talk about two movies today that have come out recently, uh, as I said in the intro. And the first one is Infinity Pool from this year, of course, written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg, son of the great David Cronenberg. The cast, Alexander Skarsgård, Mia Goth, and Cleopatra Coleman. The release date was January 27th, 2023. That was two Fridays ago, but we had our top 10 list uh, last week, so we're just now getting around to it. So deal with it. It is now uh, in theaters, uh, at least select theaters, so uh, look for that if you're interested. And while staying at an isolated island resort, James and M are enjoying a perfect vacation of pristine beaches, exceptional staff, and soaking up the sun. But guided by the seductive and mysterious Gabby, they venture outside the resort grounds and find themselves in a culture filled with violence, hedonism, and untold horror. Now, the theatrical release of Infinity Pool is the edited version, apparently. This was uh, an NC-17 cut uh, that ran the festival circuit somewhere that I hope, uh, you know, eventually hits a director's cut somewhere. Because I got to tell you this, Sam, 
Oh, I was hearing a lot of our our friends, uh, like the the critic friends, saying things like "this is goopy." That was like an actual <laughs> term that I heard. Yes. This was not near goopy enough for me. I want the NC-17 goop is all I'm saying. Okay. I feel like there's a lot of goop to be had. Well, I, I got the NC-17 goop, actually. What the fuck? How did you see the... Well, it's, it's stupid to ask, <laughs> I'm sure. But how did you get NC-17 rights? I uh, I got a uh, screener, a press screener, and uh, so I was able to see an erect penis... Always a plus. I was able to see ejaculation. Always oh, a plus see, as well. See, this is what I need in my life. All right. Rock hard dick and ejaculation. I feel like I feel no, it's okay. This is going to be interesting because I saw this in theaters. I know what scene you're talking about, but that level of explicit nature or whatever was not there. So, um, uh, yeah. That was about as goopy as it got, though. <laughs> um, anyways, we'll get back to that, though. Uh, this is going to be interesting, then. Interesting. I didn't know that you had uh, seen a different version than me, so that's great. Well, I saw the theatrical version, and you know, I, I would love to see the director's cut, regardless of if the only difference is an erect penis or not. Uh, I would love to see it, because for me, this was uh, one of my most anticipated films going into it of this year. Uh, because I loved Possessor so much. It was uh, my number two on my top 10 of that year. I think that was 2020, maybe. Um, and, uh, you know, this theatrical version of Cronenberg's uh, Infinity Pool left me wanting a little more, though, I have to admit. Uh, to clarify, I still liked it. It's moody as hell, has some cool cinematography and composition choices, great synth score that is very fitting and very Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, the performances feel reserved and methodical, but in an intentional way, for better or for worse. Um, so it's, it reminds me, honestly, and I do not mean to compare uh, Brandon Cronenberg to Stanley Kubrick, um, but Kubrick used to have Take the Shining, for example. He used to, it's almost like the performances were at the mercy of the narrative. It was never about, like, do this great performance. It was always, do what I need you to do for this thing, right? And that almost feels like uh, what's happening here to me, again, for better or for worse. But the point is, uh, it has some cool shit, and this movie's weird. But for as much as it has going for it, I felt a general detachment while watching it, likely stemming to the themes I found interesting on paper, but not necessarily in execution. Themes like masculinity, ego, entitlement. Uh, it's, you know, There's this built-in satire on the wealthy elite, um, and the avoidance of consequences, the examination of one's own identity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, on the other hand, we get something fairly original, I'd say, at least a, an original take on this. Uh, even if I see the themes as being a bit worn out, you can't say that the approach is, I don't think. Uh, we've seen filmmakers criticize the rich for well over a century, uh, but this is certainly a new take. So all that said, Sam... I know I said a lot, but I have a I have a prompt for you here. Without spoiling any major plot points, give us your general thoughts on Infinity Pool, but then uh, let me know what you did or did not connect with the most. Interesting. Um, so I thought you put it really well in that um, it's familiar territory. You know, this is an an eat the rich sort of story. Um, that we've seen for a long time now. Uh, it's particularly 
seems to be particularly hip right now with uh, shows like The White Lotus and um, the Oscar nominated film uh, Triangle of Sadness. Uh, these sort of uh, cutting satires of uh, the wealthy class. Um, but I think you nailed it in that you said, you know, it's familiar, but uh, kind of a, a fresh take. Um, uh, and to me, that's largely what this movie is, kind of a, a novel spin on things we've seen before. Um I enjoyed it much more than uh, David Cronenberg's last movie, Crimes of the Future. Fucking same, bro. Yeah, that just felt so tired to me, like just a hodgepodge of ideas and imagery that we've seen from him countless times before. I mean, I've seen his fleshy technology a billion times now. Like, I get it. Yeah, yeah, and real quick, real quick aside there before we keep going on Infinity Pool here, I got to say, because mm. I, I never talked about Crimes of the Future, I don't think, other than maybe a few sentences. I saw it much. I saw it later. You know what I mean. So I, I didn't really feel the need to cover it, but I feel the same way. It was funny because I kept a lot of my David Cronenberg f- friend fan friends, David Cronenberg fan friends. It's a weird statement. My <laughs> friends that are David Cronenberg fans, um, they. We're just like, oh, man, this feels like a return to form. You know what I mean? And I'm watching and I'm like, maybe it does. But that's not really a compliment to me. Right. <laughs> like, I didn't dislike the movie per se, but exactly what you just said. It felt like a rehash of things he's done better before. And it almost had the pacing and narrative style of something like Crash. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever saw like his movie Crash, not the yeah. one later. But um, yeah, it's basically about people being obsessed with car crashes and wounds and uh, you know, this dude like fucks this lady's leg wound and stuff. It's just, it's just Hot. like a. <laughs> <Hot>. <laughs> but anyways, anyways, I could talk about that movie for a while. Again, uh, positively and negatively, but yeah, keep going with the uh, Infinity Pool. I- I'm curious. More yeah. Of your thoughts. Um, to me, uh, this movie's just kind of a fun wild ride. Um, I've heard some people say that it it doesn't have much to say. And I don't know, I've never been of the mind that movies really need to explicitly make a grand statement. Um, I think, you know, you can, uh, a movie can just be kind of a visceral experience. And to me, that's very much what this is. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, gross stuff. Um, and it's unpredictable. And, um, but I, I think it's, kind of saying something about um you know uh rich people exploiting the less privileged um i i think alexander skarsgård character his character is interesting in the sense that he's a guy who's kind of hesitant but also excited to break out of his shell um and he does that in in sort of literal body horror ways. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this movie is terribly deep, but I had a lot of fun with it. I, I um, you know, I think Mia Goth is great. Uh, she's kind of mysterious and menacing. Um, 
Dude, so let's let, let's talk about Mia Goth real quick. That that's a good yeah. place to kind of start because I I, I have uh, IMDb pulled up because I was going to have the names ready for when we start talking about characters. And Alexander Skarsgård plays an author named James Foster who hasn't written the book in like what is it four or five years? I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he goes to this place to hopefully be inspired. That's kind of the whole point of the movie is. Uh, you have uh, James Foster with his partner at this place. His partner is wealthy, um, and he's kind of riding those coattails, waiting for his next bit of inspiration to, um, you know, come to be. And uh, unfortunately, that well, fortunately for him, but maybe unfortunately for the world, uh, that comes at the expense of very literally breaking one shell. Um, and, <laughs> uh, in, in many ways to be vague, what sucks about talking about infinity pool, let me just say this, and this is to all the listeners too, is, um, I feel like if we were to really start to talk about what the film does, you really start to get into what some might consider spoiler territory, even though I feel like if we were to say what the initial gimmick is, it wouldn't be that big a deal, but it is kind of a spoil. That's like a wild reveal. I think in the movie, you yeah. you get this moment where I'll, I'll all I will the extent to which I will go is I'll say this. There's a point where, um, due to a series of unfortunate events, um, uh, Alexander Skarsgård's uh, author character here, James, uh, finds himself imprisoned in this foreign land. Okay, and this foreign land is known to be extremely violent outside of this uh, protected. Um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, vacation spot. What I I can't. I'm, name is escaping me. Uh, what you call this? But it's like this gated, barbed wired like resort. Secure, resort. Thank you. That's the word. Yeah, yeah. this big resort. And so, um, uh, basically, James Foster has to kind of deal with the police, and they give him an ultimatum that either you know the crimes that he's committed, regardless of whether this uh. Uh, seems like a like a ridiculous um why am i forgetting words sam what the hell's going on with my brain um uh even if it seems like a ridiculous punishment right like to the extent to that extent um he is going to be executed and the entire point of the movie is he has a choice he can either uh be executed or pay a lot of money and get a double now, I'll let you guys figure out what a double means, um, but that's kind of the premise of the movie, and the, the reason we keep talking about the rich is because these people are wealthy enough to pay for these doubles, so they're essentially void of any consequences of any um, crimes or, like, uh, whether it's law-breaking or immoral, and, like, I mean, it kind of gets to the point of, like, cultish. You know what I mean? When you have like all these characters and they're almost like this cult of people who have survived death, but not because they did anything to do it. They just paid money, you know, and and, and it's just this like very bizarre cult. And, and I, I bring all that up to give context because Mia Goth is a part of this. I'm going to use the term cult loosely. Um, and man, she is a force to be reckoned with here. You know, she is what, what I like about Mia Goth is she will go. She will go there wherever there is, right? She'll go all the way. I, I personally loved X. I thought she was awesome in X. Um, uh, I like Infinity Pool, um, and she's great here. But it's funny because I don't necessarily think that her performances are ever great. Like, I don't imagine her getting, like, 
winning awards for these performances, so to speak. You know what I mean? But there's something like really raw and really out there about her that is kind of attractive. And I don't mean that in like a physical, like a beauty sense. I mean, like it attracts my attention, you know, (laughs) to her on screen. There's a point uh, where uh, Goth's character, I believe this is the Gabby character, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Gabby. Um, She is uh, basically running up on this bus and she just starts going, James, James. (laughs) And she's just screaming James's name. And it's just like a haunting thing, man. <laughs> like, like that's such a weird moment. And all she's doing is yelling a name. There's just something about her face and kind of her her um, nonverbal persona. Like, whatever she's given off, uh, I'm here for. How do you feel about Goth in general? But how do you feel like she's kind of reined that into this performance? Well, specifically with this performance, um, uh, you know, she kind of preys upon Alexander Skarsgård's insecurities, and uh, the movie suggests that part of the reason why this cult targets him is because he sort of hates himself. Um, so, you know, and there's even a scene where he's watching his doubles execution, and I think we can go ahead and get into spoilers. Uh, where he is watching his doubles execution and smiling. And you get the sense that this is a cathartic act for him. And he almost views it as a a rebirth. And to me, that was a a real standout scene and kind of what, what hooked me, you know, this idea that these privileged people are, um, maybe doubling themselves and watching their demises out of a sense of insecurity, out of a sense for, um, you know, a a need for reinvention. Um, Well, it's almost, to be honest, for me, the way I kind of took it, it felt like was, you know, there's this weird drug that they like sniff or something. You know what I mean? And it's almost like every time a double is killed, it's almost like a part of them dies. You know what I mean? Like a part of their humanity or something dies. Because they they seem to get more and more wild and ravenous as they watch these things happen. To the extent of James has this kind of very subtle smile uh, the first time. And then when he sees these doubles die as he goes, he's cheering with people. Right? Um, there's like an escalation of their reactions to this and I think their lives going on afterwards, you know, um, and the nonchalant nature of their willingness to just do crimes and be punished for them because they can pay for doubles. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's it's a, it's a weird thing. Yeah. And it's not unlike uh, some of the themes that David Cronenberg has explored um, you know, he's delved into body horror a lot and, you know, uh, both literal and figurative uh, transformation, um, you know, even something more straightforward like a history of violence is about, you know, a man who 
has these two sides to himself that he transforms between. And I think it's interesting to see uh, Brandon Cronenberg kind of exploring those same themes now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's so hard when you have someone like this to not kind of draw those comparisons to his dad, Hmm. because his dad is essentially like, I'm not saying there was never body horror before David Cronenberg, because there definitely was, um, but it wasn't like that. Uh, he, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Cron- like David Cronenberg was that dude that kind of uh, I always call him the grandfather of body horror. But he was like uh, that dude that kind of really made it a very specific thing. It feels like, you know, hmm. and um, when you see his son have a. I would argue comparable pacing to some of that Cronenberg stuff and and uh, being goopy. <laughs> as I forget which one of our friends said that, but, um, you know, being goopy and uh, like you said, tackling some of these themes, albeit maybe a little different. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's really hard not to draw those comparisons, especially because of the shared name. Um, like I, earlier, I just said Cronenberg and I like as I was like talking, I was thinking ah, I should have said the first name. Because I'm, when I say Cronenberg, <laughs> I mean David. You know what I mean? Like, like right. he's earned just the last. It's like saying Hitchcock. I don't right. care if there's another Hitchcock director. That's Alfred Hitchcock. Like, that's what that means. Sure. Um, but yeah, Infinity Pool is the. I don't know. Uh, it it seemed like for as methodical and kind of uh, slow as it is, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean. Um, slow as in uh it like takes too long um but i think it's more of an execution thing for me where like i said on paper i like a lot of these things and you've touched on uh many of the the aspects that i like about it um but the in execution there's just something about this that makes it feel maybe less meaningful to me and i don't know if it's because some of the so-called goopy moments um are almost like shocking like they almost take you out of it like like i'm sure as soon as an erect dick popped on your screen you were like that's a fucking erect dick like you weren't like just absorbed (laughs) into it i'm sure that like popped you out right yeah um and and i think that's obviously i i'm sure brandon cronenberg knows this is gonna happen you know (laughs) like i can't imagine him being like this is immersive filmmaking i'm gonna put a big dick on the screen it's just not gonna happen um so I, I was just always curious. It's like, that's so interesting that you're exploring these themes. I, yeah, I really don't feel like we get anywhere with them. Um, mm. But they are very interesting to kind of challenge, I guess. So I was here for it. But by the end, I, I remember I watched it with my wife in the theater. And she just looked over at, at the end. She goes, what the fuck? And I was like, I was like, I know, man, that was weird. And she's like. I'm not going to spoil like the very end, but she's like, why did that happen? You know, like there's like one last shot of someone sitting in the rain somewhere. I'll just say it that way. And she's like, why did that happen? Why did they choose that or whatever? And I'm like, dude, I just need to sit and think about this for a while. (laughs) It was one of those movies where I was just like, I kept asking myself, I was more asking myself, like, why are you doing it this way? More so than I was like processing as I'm watching. Does that make sense? Um, and and it was, it was, it was a movie that, um, it never, I wouldn't say it ever challenged me in the sense of what it was doing or intending to do. 
but it was challenging me more of like, I just feel like we're kind of, um, I'm losing words again. We're kind of uh, like, uh, like burying some of these themes underneath the execution of what's happening. Are you following me when I say that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think what maybe you're saying is that um, it elicits this sort of reaction. That's basically, Oh man, that's fucked up. But then it just kind of stays there on the surface and you're not really sure what's going on underneath. Um, Yeah. And I picked up on like the, the, like immediately whenever doubles were brought up and they were like, but if you pay back and I was like, Oh shit, we're going to do this. Like, 1% 1% shit right here dude like right. you know like like I was immediately on board I'm like all right let's see what's happening and it, and it it's um like you said I don't need there to be some grand uh plan or whatever I I love movies like uh, the Panos Cosmatos movies like Beyond the Black Rainbow and Mandy mm-hmm. and those movies that are just like fucked up joy rides to me you know what I mean like I don't really give yeah. a fuck what they're about like just give me that experience like that's awesome and um i i don't quite get that here either do you get what i'm saying so it's like somewhere in the middle for me where um it's i feel like i'm sitting here talking bad about it i i did like the movie overall but i think it's more that i i like these things enough where it's like oh i wish you had just went a little further with this or you, do you understand what I mean by that? And you yeah. had a different experience because of the NC-17 thing. So I, I don't know if uh, I don't know how different that is, you know, because maybe I would get one side or the other with that. Yeah, well, that's interesting because like, um, you know, during the scene you mentioned with the, the erect penis, um, <laughs> it's uh, it's shocking and it does kind of take you out of the movie but the movie continues along at kind of a slow burn pace with kind of a subdued tone. So it's like when it has that sort of art house vibe, it is weird to see something so shocking, you know, kind of come out of nowhere. Um, And I don't know if that's Cronenberg, like challenging, viewers expectations of art house movies um by you know throwing in something like an erect penis and an ejaculation <laughs> um if it didn't sell you before folks i bet you're sold now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah now i do kind of wonder like well what was the point of that you know was it just to shock us um yeah i think you touched on a really important thing it feels like a lot of it lays at the surface like once it hits me um it's almost like it doesn't wash over me entirely it just kind of hits me and sits there you know it's like a booger being flicked at me rather than water you know what i'm saying (laughs) and that sounds like a negative thing because i don't want boogers like flicked at me but my point is um you know and I, i hate doing this but i'm gonna i'm gonna call back to the previous brandon cronenberg movie possessor that had me from beginning to end, hmm. you know, and I felt like there was a clear narrative that he was taking an equally unique approach, I think, to something. Again, I don't think is like that unique per se, but the way he did it was really interesting. The execution was interesting to me. And um, I man, I really responded to that one uh, big time. And that's the other thing. 
I don't think the pacing is all that different than, than Possessor. It has some equally weird visual shit in it. Like, it's interesting to think of both of those movies and how I had such a big response to Possessor. And then, you know, I'm watching uh, Infinity Pool and you have, um, like you said, you'll have this big moment. So you'll have a scene where someone is straight up just like murdered brutally or a big dick ejaculating or like, uh, you know, you'll have, um, you know, someone get hit by a car or whatever, like just this numerous kind of shocking things, you know, um, and, and these people like intentionally kind of going beyond a certain line. Right. Um, but it just never. Like you said, it just kind of sits at the surface. I think um, I haven't had a ton of time since I saw this to kind of really like chew into it. But I think you were talking about certain art house films and stuff. And I think there are, I, I usually have kind of two criteria. Of course, there are exceptions. Of course, these are loose. But just for the sake of describing here, uh, I have kind of two criteria. It's like, is this so crazy I can have fun with it? Right. So I think of like, Panos Cosmatos movies, like I said, or or like some crazy horror movie or something that just goes fucking bonkers or like something like Dead Alive, like the Peter Jackson movie where <laughs> it's just so far out there, you know, that it's just like ripping like rib cages out of people and stuff. You know, it's just like ridiculous. Um, I love that stuff. And then I, I can also watch another movie that is a slow burn that is dealing with, you know, really cool themes, even if the execution isn't my favorite thing. Um, and this film would kind of fall into that where it doesn't quite go as far as I personally would want it to, but I'm, I can still chew on these things, even if I'm not particularly diving in. Take, for example, uh, the performances I was talking about, and I, I feel like they're um, kind of, uh, <clears throat> um, so I'll use one of the words you use, like kind of these like subdued, um performances i called them reserved i just found and um i did think of kubrick because i was like why like why is it something like the shining where the beginning like jack nicholson and shelly duvall their acting fucking sucks at the beginning of the shining you know what i mean and it's yeah. like but it's like clearly very intentional like they're supposed to be these like boring people right and and i can talk all day about why that's awesome but like by the end they're fucking awesome yeah you know what I mean? Like, like uh, all complete and utter like sympathy to Shelley Duvall, who was put through complete hell during that shoot. But it's like, at the very least, it like gave her this like iconic performance. You know what I mean? Again, maybe not worth it, but if you're going to get anything out of it, at least it is an iconic performance, I guess. Um, I'm going to stop talking about that because I feel weird about it now. But the point is, um, like uh, watching Kubrick's films, even if I feel like some of those performances are kind of stale or stiff, I can always think about why. And then by the end of the film, it always kind of like clicks in. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why this is perfect. Your production is fucking spot on. Of course, I'm like a big Kubrick whore, so we all know this. But like this film just didn't have that for me. And, and again, not comparing it to Kubrick, but it felt like. Cronenberg is trying to get these performances out of people that were very fitting specifically for what he wanted. And that never kind of paid off for me. The things that paid off for me, to be honest, are things I mentioned. And I kind of want to ask you this, and then we we uh, we can kind of sum up our feelings here in a moment. Um, you know, he the let me find it here. Uh, I think the cinematography is real cool. They do a lot of like really wild close ups throughout the movie where people are just like all you see are like their mouths talking to each other and stuff. 
I found that actually interesting. Like, that shit would be fine. I mean, I also don't know why he made some of those choices, but I was down because it was moody as fuck, and it was weird. And I'm like, all right, cool. If you see an ejaculating dick, you can take some close-up mouth shots. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I don't think that's going to be weird anymore. Um, so, you know, we have, uh, like, cinematography, and I had some composition choices, but it was mostly his choices of... Uh, you know, those types of uh, interesting shots. He also has those uh, very possessor type shots of these kind of flash quick shots of people and goop and stuff. Uh, And that's always fun. The synth score fucking rules, dude. I think it's like really awesome. And it's always fun to hear kind of an old school score like that. Very, very moody. Uh, I thought the atmosphere in this at at times, movies like this kind of lose an atmosphere for me. Like they have a tone, but I start to kind of get uh feel like i'm at a distance with it right um and then other times man that kicks in there's some crazy shit going on and i'm like immersed and i'm in and i'm watching um but that that score really helps um but outside of that i guess uh, can you think of anything um that like really stands out to you or that connected with you beyond and correct me if you disagree with some of these things but i mean uh with the exception of some like really cool cinematography kick-ass score stuff like that i mean did anything else like kind of stand out to you or or click with you that we haven't mentioned um not really i mean i'm i'm trying to think of what i connected with thematically and there's not a whole lot there i mean I I was going to suggest that you know the the central premise of the doubles um sort of suggests that uh you know pieces of these rich people have to die in order for them to keep behaving the way they do. I mean I think that's kind of the metaphor but you know that's also a little thin now that I think about it. Um I uh, you know, I, I thought Alexander Skarsgård was great. Um, I could see wanting him to uh, let loose a little bit more than he does in his performance, especially as he takes advantage of the, the double premise. But I think the fact that he's still sort of subdued uh, suggests that, you know, at the end of the day, this guy still has kind of a hole in his heart that he needs to fill and he's still kind of an empty bit of an empty loser. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I think I would just say it's an impressive, um, it's impressive on the surface. Um, and you know, it's definitely a visceral experience. Um, I think, you know, Brandon Cronenberg has made what, like three films now? Yeah, antiviral possessor in this, I believe. So, you know, he's he's still young and fresh, and you know, I I assume he'll dig deeper as his career goes on. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think for me, summing up this movie, I would tell people like, hey, if you're into goopy like uh, body horror with like um, well, you don't have to worry about the big dicks and stuff in the version I saw, but if you do see the uncensored version, I would keep that in mind. Uh, but 
you know, it was a pretty like for me, I was just like, honestly, this movie would be a lot better for me if it would just go that far. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I need to see that stuff. It's more of like, like you said, because I feel like a lot of the themes kind of got just below the surface and stopped. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah. well, I can't chew on that. So give me the other thing. Like, give me something so I can like uh, really get into this because I was just kind of into it. Um, but I would tell people to check it out, at least for a unique and kind of visceral experience. It's pretty wild. Um, it's uh, certainly something I think worth seeing. Uh, I don't think it's going to be on my top 10 or anything, but, uh, you know, it was cool. And, you know, uh, to sum up my thoughts, I'll just say sometimes you just need to suck at the bloody teat of uh, of those around you. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> Clutch. Clutch reference. <laughs> I'll let I'll let viewers figure out what that is. Any final thoughts on this before we move on? Not really. I mean, you know, you you could do worse with a a Saturday night movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's you know, it's weird. It's uh, it's like a fucked up version of multiplicity. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 like uh, multiplicity meets the White Lotus. Yeah. By yeah. way of uh the fly. Yeah. That's yeah. actually way too I mean those are all great move those are all great things. I don't know <laughs> if I would praise it that highly, but it's similar yeah. to those things. Yeah, if you, I mean if this is in a theater near you, luckily we got it here. Um I know that it's in some of the big cities. You'll certainly find it at the Art House Theaters. I don't know how much longer it's going to be there. It has been out for it'd be a couple weeks here um this friday so definitely check it out if you get a chance and if you see it uh whether you agree or disagree let us know what you think medium cool pod on facebook instagram and twitter you can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com in just a moment sam and i are going to talk about the new m night Shyamalan film knock at the cabin Knock at the Cabin from 2023, of course, directed and uh, well, yeah, directed by M. Night Shyamalan, written by Shyamalan and Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman. The cast is Dave Batista, Jonathan Goff, or Groff, sorry, Rupert Grint, Nikki Amuka Bird, uh, Ben Aldridge, Abby Quinn, and Kristen Quee. <clears throat> Excuse me. Release date February 3rd, which was last Thursday. This is in theaters now pretty much everywhere as far as I can see. So if you want to check this out, it should be somewhere near you. And while vacationing at a remote cabin, a young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four strangers who politely demand that the family make an impossible decision to avert the apocalypse. With limited access to the outside world, the family must decide what they believe before all is lost. Oh my God, Sam, did you just hear that? That was crazy. So from the get-go, here's some quick thoughts here. From the get-go, I felt like the film um, was kind of another, what I call like convenient film, uh, that uh, from the beginning, I felt like it was just trying to outsmart me from the beginning. Like I, And maybe it's because of my knowledge of M. Night Shyamalan, but I was just like immediately, because I mean, it kicks off there's like no real buildup. It's just the things happening, right? Which is good. I actually think that's a great choice. 
Um, but I was like, oh, dude, he's trying to make me think this. I know he's doing the opposite, you know. So, <laughs> um, so I felt like I knew how everything was going to end without even trying, and uh, and that certainly affected my experience. I think because instead of there being any kind of mystery, it was more of me watching M Night. Uh, like fulfill my unintentional prediction because I wasn't trying to. It just kind of happened, right? Um, so that said, um, you know, for as lackluster as I think a lot of this is in execution, there's a lot of cool shit here that's fun, okay? Uh, and it, it actually uh, made me think of something Hitchcock might have had fun with were he to have been in his prime, like post-production code. You know, like yeah. some weird fucked up thing like this that he wouldn't have been able to do, you know, throughout the 50s and stuff. Um, and I, I, I'm admittedly split on the film. But on one hand, I think it's awkward and a bit hokey, particularly in execution. Um, I think you really need a stellar, stellar cast to pull something like this off. And though I don't think the cast is bad, they don't like Batista. It, bless him is not going to sell me on this right however on the other hand i very much enjoyed seeing the strings getting pulled and uh and putting myself in the situation that the family was in and thinking those questions like you know what would i do in this situation <laughs> you know and uh and things like that i had i had a great time doing that so um i think knock at the cabin is a fun movie to watch by no means great i would say um, but Sam, you and I had a back and forth on Facebook the other day talking about our complex relationship with him, Knight. Uh, would you share with us your relationship with him and then let us know where Knock at the Cabin fits into it all? Yes. Um, so we both admitted that although his career has taken a bit of a downfall, we still get excited for his movies, um, even when he's disappointed us time and again lately. And I way think, more than he's impressed me. Yeah. <laughs> so I think he's impressed me like two and a half times. <laughs> <laughs> so so I find myself with every new Shyamalan movie saying, like, maybe he's back with this one. Um, hoping yeah, totally hoping it'll reach the heights of the sixth sense and unbreakable, uh, which to me just felt like um, both of those movies felt like the emergence of a new voice, a new Spielberg, um, you know, right. Uh, especially with unbreakable, you can just, he has a very distinct style and, and you could sense the arrival of an auteur with those two movies, I think. Yeah, I love Unbreakable. I need to read both of those. I haven't seen in so long. They're movies I plan to rewatch. I'm going to be doing a, a big rewatch in some of my favorite films of all time, and I'm just going to throw those in to see where they fit. Um, but that's what one of the things this year. But Unbreakable was all I, I loved the sixth sense. I don't know how I feel now. I need updated opinions. But man, Unbreakable is fucking great, dude. Oh, yeah. And and that movie was so exciting. I mean, uh, a superhero story grounded in reality like that really hadn't been done before. And uh, that just felt so unique and, and so cool. And, um, you know, I, I, I liked signs a lot. I, I, I actually liked the village. Um, and then uh, he went downhill um, 
to me old was him kind of fucking around um and you know the same with the visit and and split. what about avatar dude <laughs> i did not see avatar the last airbender um or after earth uh they both look really bad um but uh and you know the the return to the unbreakable universe with glass felt a little desperate to me um but i am proud i am proud that's not the right <laughs> word um, <laughs> as if it's my accomplishment yeah. i am pleased to say that with knock at the cabin i think at least m night is back baby <laughs> yeah it's uh so i, I want to say one thing i'm gonna pass it right back to you here because um because i want your thoughts i want the whys and what fours here okay mm-hmm. um so i always forget he did split which is again a film that has plenty of issues but that i actually had a good time with that one i don't know about you but i thought i i thought it was uh, okay yeah i i had a good time with it i don't know why because i feel like when I think about that movie, I just want to like tear it apart. But when I was watching it, I was okay. Does that make sense? It's kind of a weird yeah. thing. Uh, but I agree with you. Uh, I haven't liked anything really since Signs. And I haven't seen... The first time I saw the, the one and only time I've seen The Village, uh, I hated it. But that was like 2004. Hmm. So it's been... A, I need... I mean, that's like... A, I need to reevaluate some of these uh, things. Um but uh, yeah, I don't remember. I'm looking at his filmography now. I don't think I've really liked much of anything since Signs. And Signs, of course, is below Unbreakable and Sixth Sense. So it's like those are like the two jams. We're on the same page there. Mm. But after, God, what, 15 projects or something that he's done? <laughs> uh, or like 12 or 13, something like that. Uh, what puts Knock at the Cabin for you kind of back on, back above the line do you get what i'm saying like yeah. maybe not at the height of unbreakable or sixth sense but just back above the line of well this isn't bad or or rather this is awesome i mean i i think i liked it uh more than you but um to me it's his first film in a while that isn't pandering to audiences expectations of him i mean yes it has a uh you know an elevator pitch of a premise and it's uh you know it has a kind of creepy vibe sort of a twilight zone feel that he's known for dude that is the first fucking thing i said after that movie ended i was like this felt like a long twilight zone video or movie or whatever yeah anyways go ahead that's a compliment but go ahead but uh with you know the visit and and split and old i felt like he was delivering crowd pleasing genre movies um i didn't find them very challenging uh with their ideas and uh this movie really troubled me i i found that its ideas were really sticking with me and and leaving me unsettled and um uh, you know this is far from a crowd pleaser it takes some pretty sharp digs at christianity um it exposes 
kind of the cruel nature of certain religious extremes. It questions whether our world is even worth saving. Um, you know, it shows that we live in a world now where if you turn on the news, it would seem like we're always on the brink of collapse. I mean, this is a dark movie. Um, and it, it it's filled with, you know, much less hope. Uh, there's a little bit there, of course, um, especially in the the depiction of the family at the center of it. But, you know, it, it's not quite as hopeful as as his other movies. And um, uh, I, I just I really appreciated that, um, you know, he he's not, uh, uh, you know, going for easy answers and and uh, kind of popcorn entertainment. I mean, I, you know, I had a certain level of fun with this movie, but it's pretty disturbing. Um, And uh, yeah, I I just, I, you know, this is the the most impressed I've been with an M. Night Shyamalan movie in a long time. Yeah, I think for me, um, I was trying to decide after I saw it. I saw it with a friend of mine, and uh, he was like, "What'd you think?" And I'm like, "I can. I feel like I can never answer that right off the bat because I'm just still. I'm immediately thinking about it." And uh, so, you know, I was like, "I was like, I had a good time. We had, I had fun like seeing this. Like this was this was cool. I need to think about this just some more because my thing was when I first finished the movie, I was like, "Holy shit! I just watched an M Night Shyamalan movie. I did not hate." Like this, like, whoa, it was like exciting, like you were saying, but I needed to decide in my mind. It was like, do I like this because it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie that I didn't hate? Or do I like this because I actually think this is a good movie? (laughs) You know what I mean? And um, yeah, you you hit a lot of the points here. Uh, The first thing I'll say is this. uh, Like I said, well, let me ask you this. Did did you... um, just to give people a, a little bit more, um, if you haven't seen it again, I don't want to like fully spoil this or anything for you. But um, the premise is that these four strangers come into this house by force, but then they're very polite. They don't want to hurt these people, but they have been essentially called to. You can get this in the trailer. Uh, they've been called essentially to uh, essentially act as the four horsemen of the apocalypse, essentially, and. Um, call up on this family to make a really fucked up decision. Not unlike the uh, Richard Kelly movie Box, where you go to someone's house and if they push the button, someone dies, but you get a million dollars or whatever. Um, but in this case, um, you pushing the button means making a certain decision, which is uh, basically a sacrificial decision. We'll say it that way, and um, that means that the world's saved. And the the whole challenge of this is. Are these four strangers religious or cult zealots that are being fucking they're just so brainwashed and out of their minds that they're following through with this? Or is this true? Like, is the end of the world coming? And that's the entire that's like what the movie is pretty much like literally from the first scene on. That is what we're kind of wrestling with on the surface. Right. Um. You're spot on with the religious stuff. I that stuff is there 100 percent. It feels a little secondary to me, which is fine. It doesn't need to be the the forefront of it. I don't mean that necessarily as a um, uh, 
a bash on the movie or anything. Um, but I will say that a lot of the things I found most interesting were those things. Um, and of course, were we able to do more with them? Uh, maybe I would have been more interested in that stuff, but that's not what the film was interested in, right? The film is very interested in this process of the narrative, um, and what these characters are going to choose and what they have to live through. And, um, and it's, it's interesting. I, I watched this and I felt like, um, I mean, I'm trying to think of how I want to say this because I don't. There's something I don't want to give away, and that's what the four strangers have to do um, as a result of these decisions. And and I, I that was something that I assumed might happen, but that as I was watching, I was like, oh fuck, yep, that's what's happening. Um, and uh, that's like fucked up and all, but I it seemed like that's where kind of the hokey thing comes in. I'm curious if you had any remotely any kind of. Uh, similar situation because i think about that on paper you know what i mean like think about what's happening on paper basically like if you don't sacrifice something we have to sacrifice something right and the way that that plays out i just i don't know i found i didn't think that was cool you know what i'm saying i didn't think that was particularly interesting it seemed kind of hokey to me did you did you feel that at all well, I I understand why you felt that way. I've I've heard a few people say that, uh, you know, the sacrifices that these strangers have to make um, get a little repetitive. But to me, you know, it's like with each each one was still a gut punch to me. Um, Interesting. That's the key, I think. Yeah, I think it like. Um, and it sort of it either works for you or it doesn't. I, you can either find it redundant or like with each one, you're just dreading it. And I found myself, you know, dreading each of these, you know, grisly acts. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah, that that actually worked for me. Yeah, I think what you just said is a really key thing. If you can go into this um, and you can, to some extent, like care for these characters to some extent um where when these things happen um you get that gut punch uh i just didn't care about anyone so like like this really really was like a an entertainment thing which when you said like yeah i had fun with this but it's kind of weird to say that because this is really disturbing and as soon as you said that i'm like well now i feel fucked up because <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Because, <laughs> like, that's all this was to me was like a popcorn flick, basically. <laughs> you know, I'm like watching this, and yeah, it's fucked up because it is. And I actually think the saving grace for this for me was the end. I actually, even though I kind I predicted it from the first scene where they're explaining what they're doing, right? Like, and the family's in the room, and the family's like, you're crazy, you know, and all that stuff. Um, I knew exactly what was going to happen from then on. And it played out almost, same thing happened with the village. When I saw mm. the village, I knew exactly yeah. what the fuck was going on for some reason. I don't know how. I didn't know anything about the movie. Um, Collateral, which I like, not M. Night Shyamalan, a Michael Mann movie. Collateral called it from the like fucking first scene. Like, there are just some movies that just immediately click with me, and I'm not trying to call them, but it's just, it just happens. I'm like, oh, that'd be sure. weird if that happened. And then as things go on, I'm like, oh, fuck, this is actually going to happen. You know, <laughs> like, it's that kind of a thing. This was one of those. So, um, I feel like if uh, like as I'm watching it, I by the end, I wanted what I predicted to happen. Do you know what I mean? 
Um, and Man. so, like, when it did, I thought, like, when, uh, oh, how do I say this? Some revelations about these four strangers at the very end of the film, whenever you see some of their belongings and things, um, I found that to be, like, cool. Like, that was, like, a good little touch. I could yeah. have done without the the disco song at the end, but that's fine. Whatever, you know. Um, there, there was something about the way it was treated toward the end that I was, that was kind of swayed me more toward a positive. Um, but I don't know. There was just something, um, I, I, I was real hung up on something with this. I was hung up on, I guess I didn't really, I had a hard time believing in these strangers. So it really did feel like watching some I think old Twilight Zone show like episodes are awesome. So like I I don't I I don't even want to compare it, but it's I guess like the 80s Twilight Zone stuff was a bit cheesier in my opinion actually. Um and so I guess there was like very much that vibe to me and uh just seeing like Batista there. Well, I did love that they are so polite though. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that's actually like a really cool thing and that there's like a method or like a procedure to whatever this uh, um, like mission that they're on, you know, there's like very clearly a mission or a uh, procedure. Yeah. Well, I mean, even though they're not, uh, you know, zealots by any means, I think that politeness is part of um, some of the more extreme groups of Christians. I mean, that's how they reel you in um is by you know being polite and selling christianity as something very comforting and i think what this movie is saying is uh some uh some of the main ideas of christianity are really fucked up and like cruel and um i think the fact that what you think is going to happen basically happens in the end to me that was still a gut punch because i was like oh it's it's reaffirming these kind of fucked up belief systems um and you know what what kind of god would give people such an awful path to have to take you know what a what a cruel solution um to a problem yeah i i will say that um again being intentionally vague there are um times when choices by the family choices that they make result in real world change right mm -hmm. and to a negative extent to a detriment um there's a point where people go outside and you just see planes crashing right mm -hmm. and this reminded me of the happening uh where you just see like people jumping off buildings and shit like <laughs> you know, it's just like right. what the fuck um but this is like a billion times cooler um but anyways like uh if you would call planes falling cool um, but anyways, like uh, I found some of those things to be really impactful. And I, I think the way that I liked this movie, cause I did like it. I, I think the way I liked it, you, you nailed it at the beginning is, is like a twilight zone episode where I treat twilight zone episodes as these, especially for their time, these really creative pieces of, um, basically short films, essentially, you know, they'd make these, these, uh, these little, um, pieces of content, that had these interesting ideas, many of which were based in some level of uh, cultural exploration or, or satire or, you know, a lot of times they would do these kind of subversive things with Twilight Zone. Um, but for the most part, it was really kind of a one note thing. 
with Twilight Zone. You know, like this episode is about this and they're going to do this like fairly creative telling of this story. And then the episode's done and you can wait till next week to watch the next one. And that's, uh, you know, by the halfway point, that's kind of how I started treating this one, where I felt like by halfway I was being a little too critical and I just sat back and was like, let's just really try to just let this wash over me. Right. Like, like, let me just kind of sit back and relax. And then I started treating it kind of like what I just described. You know, it was a movie that has uh, much like I kept going back to box the Richard Kelly movie because it's that again, that kind of a challenging premise. If you push this button, um, someone dies, but you get money. Right. Um, and it's that kind of transactional, fucked up, weird situation. This one obviously being far more impossible, I think. If you were to go to any random person's house with a button and say, if you push this, someone dies, but I'll give you this million dollars right now, right? No joke. I feel like way more people would consider pushing that button than they would ever admit to. Do you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. <laughs> there's no face to face with it, right? Like you're not seeing it. What this film does is it, because of the TV, forces them to see what those consequences would be. So it makes it a little more oh, difficult. Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, and, but what's great about it being the TV is that it still leaves room for the family to go. Did you pre-program this? Is this fake? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, and, and there's always that challenge of doubt. Again, if I didn't feel like the movie was swaying me in one way the entire time. And if someone v- watches this and they don't have that experience that I had, um, I think this would be more powerful. I do. I think me just immediately going in and just feeling like M. Night was just like, yeah, I'm going to give you the swerve, brother. <laughs> you know, like, uh, <laughs> like that's just my immediate vibe as soon as the movie started. And I was like, woof. It just like felt a little heavy handed for me at the beginning. But yeah, I don't know, man. This is a weird one for me to talk about. I just saw this like two days ago. I have not had a ton of time to fully process this which is why i kind of was excited to talk with you about it um because i thought the performances were fine uh, i wasn't overly impressed Kristen kui which is uh win the little girl is, i think is is just the perfect kind of like little girl for a, a movie like this i don't know i was really into her but like uh i mean i don't know dude it's it's weird like dave batista rupert grint all of these people it just like there's it's a strange cast, yeah. It is a strange cast. Uh, like Jonathan Groff. Like, uh, l- let me let me find something listeners might know him from specifically, um, other than Kristoff from uh, from Frozen. You mean Mind um, Hunter? Oh, mind? Oh yeah, yeah mind, He was also in Matrix Resurrections. He was like the uh, uh, the uh, whatever dude that was uh, Agent Smith. Yeah, yeah, agent. Yeah, yeah, that guy, the really important guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, Darth all it Vader. Was, yeah. all, <laughs> all it said was in on IMDb is Smith, and I didn't put Agent Smith in my mind. I'm like, fuck, how do I describe this guy? And you're, yeah, Agent Smith. It's that simple. Um, but the point is, like, he's been in a few things. That's what I remember him from, though. And now that you mentioned Mindhunters, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember him from that. He's cool. But yeah, it's it's one of those weird things where it's like, but he's in this movie like this whole cast is so weird. Um, and I just felt like uh, like like I said, I feel like if you're going to knock something out like this, ah, I feel like you have to have like a fucking stellar cast to really. 
knock out that vision that M Knight has to kind of sway me and keep me on the ropes, right? Because because to me, correct me if I'm wrong. Here's my pass to you here. Don't you think that's one of the things that has to be here? Is like to be susceptible a bit to that kind of fuck. Like which, what's happening? Is this real or is this not real? Because I, like I said, I didn't have that, and I felt like it felt really stale on that level, even though I had a good time watching it. But, like, I don't know. Do you feel like you need that? Did you have that uh, which way is it going to go thing? Depending on the strength of the cast, you mean? Just in general. Did you have that questioning? Like, Oh, I actually sorry. did, yeah. Um okay. Uh, especially in the moment you mentioned uh, when they turn on the TV and they question, you know, whether it's pre-programmed. I thought that was a great moment that actually did create doubt for me Um, because like I said earlier, it presents the world as a place that looks like it's always on the brink of collapse. I mean, we have, uh, you know, I mean, especially right now, or, you know, a few years ago, we had, you know, the the worst president ever, um, a global pandemic. I mean, at any point, it seems, you know, uh, climate change issues, you know, at any point, it seems like the world is ending. So I thought that portion really did... um, uh, create doubt for me and um as for the cast selling it uh dave bautista does knock it out of the park my friend <laughs> <laughs> we can agree to disagree here i have never seen i i i'm a wrestling fan okay and i yeah. was never a batista fan really in wrestling i didn't dislike him i just never cared about him um and when he when he, i think he's great in the Guardians movies in terms of I think he plays that character really well and I was like oh shit this guy can actually be kind of funny he's clearly a bit stiff but it's like that character is supposed to be like you know uh, basically the alien equivalent of autistic like I get it right like that makes sense Um, and uh, he reminds well it doesn't matter anyways and so uh, I like that then I see Batista play like the big brute at the beginning of Blade Runner 2077 or whatever and I'm like Fuck, man, if you need a big fucking bastard to fight Ryan Gosling, that's the guy to get. Like, I thought that was awesome. And then uh, so I was seeing him in like these different movies. I, if I'm not mistaken, isn't he in Dune? Am I making that up? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Now. I don't I, I never I, got I think, around to Dune. God, you suck so bad. God <laughs> damn it. Yeah, he is in Dune. So I got that right. Um, But yeah, but then. But then I saw him in Glass Onion, and this is going to be a, a a sore spot for you when I say that uh, for as much as I, I mean, of course, we're supposed to hate his character because he sucks, okay? <laughs> you know, and he does that well. But out of all of the cast in Glass Onion, he's the one that felt stiffest to me. Hmm. Do you agree or disagree with Glass Onion? <laughs> uh, I didn't see Glass Onion either. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm not I'm, one to I'm not one to um uh to make people feel bad for not seeing things, but I expect so much from you, Sam. I know I see I, your I, output, okay. And all of our mutual friends were seemingly gushing about this movie. I and know someone I, missed the screening. 
I don't I don't know what happened. I'll catch it on Netflix eventually. Netflix streaming services have made me lazy, I guess. I feel like that's probably true for me, to be honest. No, no joke. My point is, um, I don't think by any means Batista is, for all intents and purposes, bad in Knock at the Cabin. I don't mean to imply that, though. I want to clarify. Um, but I feel like uh, I just I feel like the the point of this movie is very plot focused. And um, so there's not really a whole lot of development beyond some expository. This is a part of my life. Um, I didn't really care about any of these characters. Of course, on a human level, I don't want these sacrifices to happen. Okay, these things to happen, of course. The Rupert Grintland was probably the one that caught me off guard the most because there's just even though I think it's like hyperbolic, you know, like like it's a little extreme. Um, because yeah, he like there's a point where he puts on a white mask and he's just like like uh what's the word like convulsing almost out of like fear and he's like i'm mm. so scared and he's like it, that again i was still detached from that but i was like damn that's fucked up like, <laughs> you know <laughs> like there were still those moments for me don't get me wrong uh but yeah i just felt like uh yeah none of the performances again none are bad they're all adequate to me i think that's the way i would put it i didn't feel much for any of them i thought the little girl was great but it's not because her performance is particularly stunning. It's more of just like, I just liked her. <laughs> like, I mean, that's really all it is to be, to be completely honest. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. This movie is a weird uh, back and forth for me. Like constantly when I think about it, I'm like, fuck, that is cool. The, the premise of this is, can be very cool. I think. You know what I mean? Um, the themes and stuff that they're tackling, you you hit them. Uh, you, you did a great job with that. Like, that is interesting to me. Like, that is, I think about these things, religion and all that stuff all the time. Like, I want more of that, right? But because this is so narrative focused, which I have no problem with, again, think of like the dozen plus Hitchcock movies that are literally slaves to their narrative, right? Um, dude, Rope. Like the movie, the Hitchcock movie Rope. There's a dead guy in the in the fucking chest. Let's have a party and see if anybody finds out. Like that's literally <laughs> the gimmick of that movie. You know, <laughs> I was gonna compare this to Rope. Actually, uh, you said that this would be a cool uh, Hitchcock movie, and and that's the one I instantly thought of. Because um, I mean, it's it's similar. I mean, you know, uh, in terms of taking place in a single setting. And the fact that it's, you know, a, a chamber drama um, kind of, you know, you could also draw comparisons to Lifeboat. Um, yeah, very Hitchcockian. Yeah, honestly, it's the um, it's that uh, like there's the movie Suspicion. I don't know if you've seen that one, but it has Cary Grant in it. I I'm spacing, as always, spacing the uh, his counterpart, the actress, but um but anyways, in Suspicion, the whole thing is uh, Cary Grant's character is uh, a, a partner to this woman and they are dating and, you know, she's like really into him. And then eventually you start to think and she starts to think, is this guy trying to kill me? Uh, and it's like a slow thing of like he's doing these kind of weird things and certain things happen. And you're like, dude, this guy's trying to fucking kill her. Like, that's what's happening. And 
Um, at the end of that movie, spoiler alert, you have uh, this moment where she confronts him at this cliff because she thinks he's going to like throw her off of it or whatever, if I remember correct. It's been a while, guys, so if I have any of this wrong, I don't need your hate mail. Um, but uh, I, he's going to like throw her off a cliff or something, and she's like calling him out, and he has like an excuse for everything. Because this is during the production code. Of course, they're not going to let Cary Grant just murder this woman, right? So... <laughs> So, uh, yeah, he he's just like, uh, like, yeah, no, no, no. This is the explanation for that. I was just doing that. So, you know, happily ever after they jump in this car, they start driving away camera. I remember my mind, at least in the back seat. And you see Cary Grant do this kind of creepy arm around her thing. And it's like a happy ending because he didn't kill her. But in my mind, I'm watching it and I'm like, that arm around her, dude, he's going to fucking kill her. Like they're <laughs> he's taking her to death right now. Right. And I love I love. Like that movie also made me like this made me think of that in the way where it's like it's trying to make me think A is going to happen. And I just fucking know B is happening. And and uh, and I I think if you're going to have a narrative like this, I really needed that. Think of Unbreakable. We were talking about that. Um, Unbreakable. I think for the longest time I questioned, is this dude actually like what the fuck is going on? I didn't have that moment where I was like, he is invincible. Like, he's a superhero from the beginning. Maybe you did or maybe others did. I didn't have that. So I was like, what the fuck is going on? How did he not die in this train wreck? You know, or how, how did he like how like what is going on? And so I'm thinking of all of these moments. And it's not until the end where it's essentially revealed that spoiler alert. He basically is a fucking superhero. And I was like. Fuck, this is awesome. And he has like this nemesis, this dude that actually has like a bone density disease or whatever the fuck, you know, and that that was just so awesome because it the mystery was there. And I think uh, going all the way back to um, uh, the sixth sense in that Shyamalan has always had he's he's kind of been one of those. Uh, he's made movies where I could probably watch them twice and be done because the first time you watch him, you get his mystery. And then the second time you watch it, it's like now I get to see how the sausage was made because you go back and you're like, oh, oh, yeah, like, oh, that's where he foreshadows this. This is cool. And it doesn't mean you can't watch it more than that. But I feel like his movies deserve like two viewings when they're worth it, at least. (laughs) And then it's like done. Right. And this is one where, like I said, I just I felt like I knew. Who was driving me, you know what I mean? Like I knew the path he was taking me too well. And I didn't have it. And that's why I keep coming back to I feel like if someone can go into this and I listeners, I encourage you to do this. If you can go in with a blank mind to the best of, as you can. Right. And just go like, all right, cool. I want to just see where this takes me. I feel like that's the best way to approach this. You know, I've been talking for a really fucking long time. Uh, do you have any extra thoughts about <laughs> at the cabin other than uh, me interrupting you because you said Dave Batista is fucking awesome? <laughs> yeah, he uh, I was very impressed with his performance, um, although I will say uh, I'm not sure the four strangers ever seemed with the except with the exception of Bautista. I'm not sure they ever seemed quite conflicted enough about what they had to do. Batista was by far the best. I agree with you 100%. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, they they have to commit these very grisly acts and I get at this point that they've been driven to the absolute extreme. 
but you would think after these acts they would react a little more strongly than they do um that's kind of my only little nitpick there yeah yeah it is interesting when you have two two groups of people one of which is essentially fighting for the side of like rational thought <laughs> you know the family in this case where you know there you have one group who's just like convinced that what is going of what's going on right and then you have the other group who is convinced of this other thing that's going on that i think that always provides a really solid conflict Usually, uh, if you can justify it. And I think that is one thing the film does is it really does. You know, uh, one character, I, I want to say it's is it Ben Aldridge uh, who plays? Yeah, uh, Andrew. Uh, Dad Andrew, I think that's what they call him. Um, because uh, Wynn has two fathers, Eric and Andrew. And Andrew is, uh, I want to say, is he a psychiatrist? Oh, no, no, he's a lawyer. Um, I forget what kind, but he's a talking human about rights all the, lawyer. human rights lawyer. And he's talking about, I don't know, he'll get into all this. Like, I've seen people like you guys, blah, blah, blah. So you have this guy who is really arguing hard for this other side and he's giving providing rationale. Right. And then you have this other side and they can't really provide rationale because we as an audience, I would assume, just think they're fucking crazy. Um, but it's those little things like the TV um, or like someone being able to predict what's about to happen and then we see it happen um, and things like that where there is a certain level of evidence <clears throat> you know, and it's like this constant rationale versus evidence with these two groups which I find uh, I do find very interesting it reminds me of though very different movies of uh, uh, Kevin no 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 um, yeah Kevin Smith's uh, uh, Red State and you know when Michael Parks, I don't know if you ever saw that, but when Michael Parks is given, did you see that? I'll just straight up ask you. No, I didn't. Okay. I haven't you seen anything. You should see it, actually. No, you haven't. You really suck. Uh, so, no, uh, but then you've seen Rope and Lifeboat, which makes me happy. So you've redeemed yourself a little bit. Uh, so anyways, um, uh, I think of all people, you should watch Red State. Like, why haven't I, you seen I know, this movie? Yeah. It's, um, I, I have, a, again, in the exact same way, I have a good time with knock at the cabin i have a good time with red state um and it was basically kevin smith trying to make a tarantino movie like he basically came out and said this you know and um uh so uh the the idea is that you have this westboro baptist church type uh cult basically um and but they're more extreme than that and so they'll kidnap like gay people or um, you know, uh, whoremongers or what, well, you know what I mean? Like, like all of these different people and they will sacrificially murder them basically um, because they feel like they're making, they feel like this is their judgment via God to like stop these people. Michael Parks gives an uncut 20 minute monologue. Oh, okay. Wow. Justifying why they do what they do. And I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but based on my last viewing, which is more than a decade ago, I think, or around a decade ago, um, I fucking loved that dude. Because even if I think his rationale is fucking stupid, he believes it. Hmm. You know what I mean? And it gives me so much more to wrestle with with this character, understanding why they're doing what they're doing, 
Um, I don't know. I just felt like that was a big key to that movie working for me on a fun level. It's basically two movies. The first one's like a like a, a kind of a, a slow burn horror movie. And then the last half is like a fucking like assault rifle action movie. And it's it, you know, it's a mess, but it's like I had a lot of fun with it when it came out. And this movie is like similar where I feel like um, I was getting instead of an explanation for why they're doing it, I was getting these little bits of evidence that was allowing me to kind of move forward and see these two. Granted, again, my mind was kind of made up from the beginning. I'm pretty sure it's this thing. And then, you know, uh, it was. But <laughs> but the point is, um, I do like that, though. I do like that they do have these two sides of things um, that can kind of, uh, I don't know, give you that challenge. You know, and I think like any of the good M. Night Shyamalan movies, there is uh, that to it. There is some sort of mystery or there's two sides of a coin that we then uh, have to kind of wrestle with through the movie until we get an answer. And um, if you're like me and you don't get that from this, I can't imagine this being that great, to be honest. It's a fun time. I encourage anyone to go see it. I think uh, here's your chance to see a not bad M. Night Shyamalan movie like that's. And not have to go back 20 years, you know, um, and it probably is, you know, for as much for as much as I called Dave Bautista lackluster, essentially to sum it up, um, he's actually maybe the best actor in the movie. <laughs> so like, like, I don't know what that says about the rest of them, but I think he like the more you talk about him, the more it's like, OK, credit where credit's due. Like he actually does a much better job than I thought. Um but uh, yeah, uh, what did you think about any of the production or anything like that? Where, it, like you said, this is a pretty uh, a pretty small one location thing. Uh, did anything stand out to you with uh, you know soundtrack stuff, camera work, uh, anything like that? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I really enjoyed the uh, uh, the repeated use of tight close ups. Uh, I yeah. thought that made it even more claustrophobic. Um, and it made the strangers even more intense. There's a lot of close-ups of uh, Batista in particular. Uh, and, you know, he, he's pretty striking visually. Um, my friend Nick Rogers said something about how his scalp looks like the lunar surface. <laughs> I, I thought that was great. Um, From one weird, wrinkly, bald headed person <laughs> to another, um, you know, Batista, I support you. Um, so, yeah, I thought the, the cinematography was really good. Um, I enjoyed the score. It had kind of an old fashioned bernard herman sort of feel to me um i don't know if Shyamalan's worked with that composer before um uh this is one you know his movies his early movies um are guilty i think of being a little wordy you and you know i think that's just um him uh the you know, I, I attribute I attribute that to him being a, a young filmmaker at the time, but I think uh, you know he relies upon these kind of indulgent monologues, and yeah. here I was uh, impressed that he does much more showing than telling. Um, we uh, get a lot of Eric and Andrew's backstory through flashbacks. 
Um, and I feel like a, a younger Shyamalan would have relied on monologues to tell that story. Um, you know, we get, uh, a sense of the homophobia surrounding them with just a, an awkward, quiet dinner scene with Andrew's parents. Um, uh, you know, there's, uh, Andrew's also attacked in a bar, um, you know, so I, I appreciated that, uh, you know, Shyamalan is, um, you know, getting a little, little subtler, um, yeah, uh, in that sense. Um, you know, I want to touch on that real quick. If you don't mind me interrupting you here, no. it's, um, yeah, I, I, so I have IMDb open. And of course, like when you uh, are at IMDb, there's usually a trailer for the movie that you're watching as you were just talking. I was seeing muted this trailer for Knock at the Cabin. And uh, there is a point where, let me find him. Uh, there's a point where Eric, played by Jonathan Groff, as I mentioned, um, you know, uh, he has a head injury. We'll just say it that way. And um, seeing the trailer showing me certain scenes. And maybe this helps me pinpoint something that I feel like also for as much as I want M. Night Shyamalan to be the the uh like a new spielberg as you you know like that kind of like uh that thing that you were alluding to earlier um like there's something about the way that he handles certain plot points in this movie for example the head injury every single moment with the head injury seems so on the nose and so like very focused on right and you were just talking about subtlety which is and What's funny is you're talking about subtlety and I'm watching this trailer as you're talking and it's bringing up points where I wish there was more of that. But you are right, though. I want to I want to support what you just said. Like, you are right. This is more maybe than it has been, especially recently, for sure. Um, but like I'm watching this and I'm like, fuck, man, there is a lot of good show. Don't tell. There's little things of someone passing a knife or someone doing this. And there's a lot going on kind of in the scenes. But I feel like um, part of me feels like it's so obvious that I'm like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? I feel like maybe that's a good way for me to process some of my hang up, too, is everything seems so on the nose, even though it's not bad. And so part of me is like, fuck, put this in the hands of Hitchcock. Revive that motherfucker. Let him do this because he made a movie about a dude that broke his leg and is stuck in an apartment like one of my all-time favorite movies of all time, like ever with Rear Window, you know. Um, and somehow that movie, I just rewatched that like a couple months ago, and it's like, fuck, I know exactly what's going to happen, and I find this movie riveting still, and it's from like 1954. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, fuck, like I want, I, I think it's because like these concepts are so interesting to chew on. Did you find yourself... Um, putting yourself in their shoes and thinking like, what would I do in this situation? Oh yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not a parent, um, uh, and they're forced to possibly have to kill their daughter, um, uh, based on this sacrificial choice they're presented with, you know, I, I can't imagine, um, having to make that decision. Um, 
you know, Andrew, the character of Andrew also has some resentment about the choice because of all the homophobia he's dealt with, you know, at one point he suspects that the strangers are, are targeting them as a gay couple. Um, and you know, he's kind of, uh, at the end of his rope in terms of dealing with homophobia and hatred and, you know, uh, is understandably bitter about having to possibly give up, uh, you know, his loving relationship with, uh, Eric. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's absolutely the kind of movie that, you know, you leave the theater thinking, you know, what would you do? I don't know if I had any really specific answers. I mean, no, yeah, me um, neither. Me neither. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that is one of the, the strengths of the movie is that, you know, it does, leave you pondering your own behavior and it shows people driven to extremes. Um, you know, even the, the family, I mean, they do things that you wouldn't suspect them of doing. So, yeah. Um, for sure. It shows how people can be pushed to be kind of unrecognizable. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's all spot on. I think, uh, the, I thought a lot about that as I was watching it. I think that's some of the fun in the movie where it's like, fuck, what would I do in this situation? And would I do what these people are doing? <laughs> because like, I don't know. It's like, sometimes I'm like, yeah, totally like do that. And other times I'm like, dude, don't fucking do that. Like what's, and there's just like, there's a lot of fun with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think on that level, this, this can be, this can be a good time. And I do want to, I do want to go back to something you said at the very beginning uh, of this, which is uh, this movie is actually surprisingly dark. And what's funny is I didn't even I agreed with you from the beginning and thought that, but because of some of my hangups, I never really thought about it being as dark as you described. And then I'm like, no, you're right. This is actually a lot darker than maybe I'm giving it credit for, um, because there really is very little uplifting here. And I I do want to say this real quick, Um, like uh, go watch the trailer if you haven't, because pretty much everything we've said is in the trailer. Like there's no real spoiler when you mention like they might have to kill their daughter. The, the the whole I'll just at least give you listeners this. The whole idea is the family has to choose to sacrifice one of them. And so it could be the daughter. It might not be. You know, what I mean, like it doesn't have to be. It's just like someone has to to go. So um, it, it ends up being just like a really it's like, what would you do? I, I meet like I have a daughter a little older. You know, she's 11, um, but uh, I have a daughter. I have a wife. I'm like, dude, if I was sitting in these fucking chairs in front of these four strangers, I'm a, I'm, I'm kind of a big guy, but I don't know. I can't take Batista, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably take, you know, some of these other guys. Okay. <laughs> you know, that, that's kind of where I was. But anyways, um, any final <laughs> thoughts before we close this up, Sam? No, I just, uh, you know, I was really happy to enjoy an M. Night Shyamalan movie uh, this much again. Um, and I feel like this time, in terms of waiting for his next movie, I'm genuinely excited and, and not just sign, sort of hoping it won't suck. Yeah, it's less of a hope and more of a, yeah, like just a genuine excitement. Dude, honestly, I would be happy if he made another movie like this for as much as I have these hangups and stuff. I've tried to be very clear with, it's not that I think it's bad. It's just, I think there's something better here 
that wasn't manifested, but it's still sure. worth seeing. And uh, if if you are uh, in, if you can get, this is a bummer. <laughs> so if you if you're all right with you know taking a trip to Bummerville, uh, <laughs> feel free to to hop into this. I see this more as a popcorn flick. <laughs> Because I'm apparently a sick fuck. I mean, that's really what we're <laughs> learning. Um, but uh, if you've seen this and you agree or disagree, let us know. MediumCoolPod at gmail.com or MediumCoolPod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Sam, thanks so much, buddy. Yeah, thank you. It was a blast, as always. All right, that's our show, everybody. Um, I want to thank you guys for checking uh, this episode out. Thank you uh, for listening to our thoughts on Infinity Pool. What a fucking weird movie. Don't forget about the boners if you get to see the uh, the uncut version. That's real weird. Uh, and then uh, and uh, Knock at the Cabin. Surprisingly better than I thought it was going to be, but I still wasn't overly impressed. Here's the thing. I want to say this. M. Night Shyamalan... Uh, is a dude that knows how to his way around a camera man and he uh, not around a cameraman but a camera comma man and the thing is uh like he can make stuff look real good some people are really praising the production of uh, uh knock at the cabin i i think it is cool it's just really they're showy in a way that doesn't feel natural it's not a way that you immerse into it it's like it kind of pulls me out of it sometimes and uh, the thing is, sometimes that's cool with me because it, if it's like really impressive, but these things I don't think are that impressive. Um, and I was just thinking of this now. It's just a weird thing, guys, this movie. I just think it's a weird thing. Uh, I also want to say I talked about uh, Blade Runner. I said 2077 because I was thinking of cyberpunk, uh, but it's 2049, I believe. So correction on that. But I just want to tell you guys real quick what's coming out uh, this week. 80 for Brady. Knock at the Cabin, the Amazon Marie, or the Amazing, rather, Maurice, which is in theaters, Full Time, which is in theaters, Godland, which I've heard great things about. That's that's uh, that's coming up here, uh, or that's in some select theaters. And then The Locksmith, which looks like, quite frankly, a bad movie, but you can check that one out. That's coming out in theaters and on VOD. But next week, we have Magic Mike's Last Dance, which, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm, before I continue, I'm going to um, I'm going to double check this. Magic Mike's Last Dance is not by Soderbergh. It is. I was wrong. Uh, I think the second one wasn't. So this is like Steven Soderbergh's new movie. Uh, Soderbergh uh, did the first Magic Mike as well. So Magic Mike's Last Dance. That's like the reason I want to see it. Also, Titanic is being remastered and uh, will be uh, you know re-released in theaters. Uh, so that should be a thing. Um, and so, of course, some of this is select. It might not be in your area. You'll have to just check. But there's a film called Baby Ruby, which is kind of a thriller coming out. The Blue Captain, which is in theaters. Consecration, which is in theaters. Daughter, which is in theaters and on VOD. And then there is a film starring Julianne Moore called Sharper, uh, which is, I think uh, John Lithgow's in that as well, uh, which is pretty awesome. He looks old as fuck, but he looks awesome. Uh, that's called Sharper. That'd be in theaters and on Apple TV+. Plus. There's a film named after a Goatye song called Somebody I Used to Know. That'd be on Prime Video. And then finally, Your Place or Mine on Netflix. Uh, all of these movies, please uh, go watch some trailers, guys. See what's coming out. 
keep up with things. I've been watching trailers lately, too, so uh, it's a fun thing. But all that said, hey, thank you guys so much for listening. I love you. Good night. Good luck. And take it easy. <laughs>